Hello, and welcome to Some Zero Headlines. This is Avery Pagan. By now, you've been inundated with stories on GameStop. What happened during those fateful weeks in late January? What sent the stock price swinging to record highs? And the influence of retail investors? We're here to bring you the story you haven't heard. The fundamental picture of a business that has been actively reinventing itself and its relationship to the consumer for years now in a conversation with an investor who's been involved in GameStop for over a decade. Scott Preston, the founder of Maven Group, a San Francisco-based long-short equity fund, has been a member of our Cap'n'Tro program since 2018. And today he offers his perspective on GameStop. By his account, they are a growth-minded business with numerous shots on goal to expand into social gaming, esports, e-commerce, and direct-to-consumer advertising. Put aside what you've heard about Reddit and short squeezes and tune into this episode with Scott Preston for a different angle on the GameStop saga. Well, welcome to the Sum Zero podcast, Scott. It's great to have you. Um, just, I guess, by way of introduction, um, you know, GameStop has obviously been uh, the topic du jour in the financial markets for um, you know, most of, of 2021 so far, obviously dominating headlines um, throughout January and, and, and even in February. And I think, you know, for the, the Sum Zero community and also investors kind of more broadly, um, you know, we've sort of been seeing a lot of headlines around, um, you know, everything from unusual options activity on the name to discussions around, um, you know, the entire financial system being rigged, discussions around payment for order flow. And then obviously there was that um, fairly unusual hearing in front of the House um, a few weeks ago featuring, uh, you know, on the one hand, um, you know, Ken Griffin, head of Citadel Securities to um, head of Robinhood to uh, the Reddit trader who, um, you know, started started pushing GameStop as a long um, you know, just on social media. But I, I think the story that that maybe has gotten lost um, has been the fundamental one, which is, you know, what does GameStop do as a business? What does their future look like as a business? Where are their growth opportunities for the business? Um, and what's it actually worth on, on an intrinsic level? Um, and, and, you know, you have obviously been very bullish in GameStop for quite some time. And actually, we, we've had folks on some zero, even as of eight years ago, talking about GameStop as um, a potential long um, with, with lots of upside and sort of being this, this almost forgotten name because of its retail-oriented um, business. Um, but you, in, in January of 2020, uh, you know, about a year in advance of, of all this drama around the name more recently, um, had pitched GameStop as a long back when it was trading under $4 a share. Um, and your thesis had nothing to do with short squeezes or some of the stuff that we've seen in the media recently, but, but really had to do with the fundamentals of the business. And so could you just, you know, again, just to introduce yourself, could, could you tell, you know, just kind of our audience about um, kind of your own professional background um, and the sort of work that you do at your, your current fund? Well, Didier, thank, thank you for having me on the, on the podcast. Uh, I'm very happy to be here to, to discuss um, Maven and, and our involvement in the GameStop story. I started Maven Fund uh, in 2007. I've been in the investment business uh, since 1997. Um, so started started the fund about 20 years in. And um, 
Maven's background has been a long, short hedge fund, primarily focused on um, long, deep value ideas uh, that are mis mostly misunderstood by the market um, and that I, I think have a lot of asymmetry and upside um, to them. So that, that's kind of been our focus. GameStop, which we can get into later, um, fit perfectly kind of right. into that asymmetry uh, back uh, about a year ago. Yeah, so maybe on that note, can you just walk us through what or how GameStop hit your radar? What what were you screening for? If you remember back, you know, or, or like a year ago, or, or, or even in twenty nineteen, um, like when did first when did GameStop first hit your radar? So GameStop's actually been a name I've, I've followed for quite a long time. I I'd actually been involved in the stock from around two thousand ten. Um, to two, I think 2012, and uh, playing the last console cycle, um, the bull and bear thesis were, were kind of similar then with some some different dynamics, but the, the bear argument was definitely the same then. Um, I exited the story when they kind of diversified into some other businesses that I, I didn't find particularly attractive. Um, and, and so I kind of had kept the name on, on my radar screen, and then I, I knew this console cycle was coming. I'd kind of been from the peripheral watching what the new management team was doing as far as realigning uh, the current business and setting goals for uh, the new business as they enter this console cycle. And so with the stock at, at three to between three and let's say six dollars uh, and, and a decent balance sheet at that time. And, and, and at that point, we had already known that the new consoles were going to have uh, both this and we're going to be backward compatible, something that I, I felt uh, was going to be particularly attractive for the consumer. And I knew that the console cycle couldn't save GameStop, but I thought it would give them a unique opportunity uh, to re-engage with the consumer. And I felt that that upside was maybe 50-50 or something, but that the downside was so limited given where the stock was trading that if I was wrong, you know, maybe, maybe I'd lose five, 10% or something. If I was right, the upside could be pretty enormous. And, and on the downside, I, I mean, it sounds like, are you speaking to kind of the balance sheet strength of the business or what, what, what made you feel comfortable about the downside? Yeah. So I, I you know, with the stock at, you know, $5, uh, management had just completed a, a, pretty aggressive buyback program they bought back between i think 35 and 40 percent of the stock mm -hmm. around five you know, that left them they had about 400 million in in debt and about an equal amount in cash i believe at that time and the business wasn't they were showing operating losses but it wasn't burning cash and, and a lot of that was coming from the new management uh and particularly jim bell the cfo uh, really focusing on working capital and driving inventory turns. And so I felt they had plenty of run room um, to get to the new cycle, uh, new console cycle. Right. And at that point, uh, we would see some cash flow uh, generation and, and you know, we can get a little bit more deeper in the story. And so that's kind of, to me, you know, I knew they were going to have a window of time of, of excessive cash generation and, and how they use that uh, was going to be important, but that, that kind of provided the shots on goal. And then one of the things that you, you mentioned in your Sum Zero piece, and actually even just now, is that you weren't solely relying on 
the new console cycle picking up and, and, and you know, providing a tailwind for, um, uh, for GameStop. But there was a lot kind of that, that, that had to do with them rethinking um, kind of their customer experience and, and just sort of how their stores operate. Um, uh, do, do you want to maybe get into some detail on, you know, like what they envision the GameStop experience to be um, and, and, and how that would drive growth? Yeah, and, and I'll speak uh, in terms of when I came to the story, some, some things have changed a little bit now, but yeah, at, at that time they were, they, they knew what, this, what the new management team realized and, and the company since Paul Raines had passed away a couple of years ago, the company had gone through several different management teams uh, with this management team in there, what, what they really did that was different was embrace gaming. And it, this is a large market. It's growing rapidly. And what I what I saw, was I really liked that re-engagement. And there was a lot of ways to win. And they were realigning the business, shrinking the store account, and trying to really figure out uh, the best way to re-engage with their customers. And... So the console cycle for me wasn't like it was going to make or break the company, but what it provided was a period of time, 18 months was kind of what I had in mind at that time to re-engage with the customer. The customer was going to come to GameStop for consoles and that was their opportunity. They have this large power up rewards program to re-engage and that could be through uh, esports, um, social gaming, there was just so many shots on goal to really re-engage that that customer base, um, and there was a couple. There's since then. There's been a couple attractive opportunities that have come up as well that we can get into a little bit later. But at the time, that that's what I really saw. And and if they got one of these things right, uh, it it could transform the business, and then you would still have the legacy business that would, you know, do what it was going to do, and and you would see kind of a steady decline. Uh, in the physical gaming business, but there'd always be a spot for that, but that wasn't going to be the story. Uh, kind of like how Netflix today still has a, uh, I think it's $60 million a quarter DVD by mail business. Uh, so yeah. kind of that was my uh, initial thought process going into the trade. So what, what would be the upsell? I'm just trying to understand this from the standpoint of the consumer. If I walk into a GameStop today, or maybe the GameStop of tomorrow, GameStop 2.0, or however you want to call it um what am i you know what is the upsell like beyond buying a a physical game for nostalgic reasons um like how is gamestop going to monetize that that new customer today when they when they do go into one of their five thousand stores yeah so i think that that's still um we're gonna hear a lot more from ryan cohen on that so stay tuned but i think what management had done up up until now is, uh, you know, they had so many stores that some were re- across the street from each other and they'd gotten dated and old. And so what they were trying to do, you know, cluttered with inventory is really streamline the experience and the process. And their power up rewards program is pretty interesting. And what had happened to GameStop throughout the, their kind of diversification out of gaming and into these other segments is they kind of forgot about the customer. And and now they've re-engaged back with the customer. What does the customer want? How can we, do they want it digital? We can help, you know, 
sell them digital? Do they want accessories, right? You can't deliver a controller digitally, right? You have to go to a store or you can order it right. online. They had no e-commerce presence. They built a $2 billion e-commerce business in a year. So how does the consumer want it? it uh, receive their ga games? Uh, do they want physical? Do they want digital? And and how do they want to kind of consume this experience? And and that's what I think what they were pushing towards. I think you know Ryan Cohen came along and, and wanted to accelerate that. But you know really, if I think they had lost so much share over the years, and it wasn't just digital. It was to Amazon. It was to Walmart. And they just kind of lost that engagement with the customers. So if you look at their rewards program, it, it's pretty powerful. It, and the amount of value that it can add to a member in just a short period of time it is tenfold uh, the cost to join it. And I think it's reengaging with that customer, getting them into those plans. And then you almost kind of lock them in. It's just people order stuff on Amazon because they have Prime and just in their mind, oh, I have free shipping. I just do go to Amazon's the first place they go. Right. Uh, and, and so I think GameStop's trying to really re-engage with the customer. What do you want? How do you want it? What's the least amount of friction? We'll give it to you and we'll figure out how. And um, and so that that's kind of how they've really tried to re-engage the customer. And then there's, you know, new lines of business. They're, they're looking at you know, things like operating esports leagues for, for high schoolers. And, um, you know, they had, there was a lot of the things that they were working on kind of got sidelined by COVID, you know, try before you buy in store and, and, and various right. things like that. Um, so those are, those are kind of some of the new things. And I think what Ryan Cohen's brought to the table and what he saw is a consumer that is probably more fanatical than any other segment. Um, you know, if you look at, well, well, you know, let's take a step back actually, because I think the Ryan Cohen, um, you know, sort of fact pattern is, is incredibly interesting and, um, for whatever reason, completely untold. I, I don't think, um, you know, many people in mainstream media have, have really talked about Ryan Cohen. Um, do, do you want to just give the audience just a, a background on him, why he's important to the story, um, and a little bit more on his own track record? Because I, I think it's, it's pretty incredible what that guy's done, um, you know, with his first business and now, and now with, uh, with GameStop. Yeah, of course. So, so Ryan Cohen is, was the founder of Chewy, um, he, which was uh, sold to PetSmart and then respun off to an IPO and it is now a public company. I think it's a $45 billion company that sells uh, pet goods online. Um, and so he was founded at a very young age, sold it, I believe made it several billion dollars and has kind of took a step back from business and was kind of an investor for a little bit and then hadn't done much and then took a small stake in GameStop, I believe. Actually, his first investment was in actually uh, mid-19, I believe, and it started engaging management. Then he filed as a 5% plus holder, I think it was in August of 2020. Yeah, and I think, I think the key point with him is that unlike a lot of financial investors, he was a successful operator at a very young age but then after that, I was reading on Wikipedia, he was apparently the single largest individual shareholder of Apple. Um, so it, it looks like he took um, a significant portion of his Chewy proceeds and, and put it in Apple stock. 
um, which I'm sure he made um, a ton of money on, um, and has become essentially an activist um, at, at GameStop. But I, I think that the interesting thing about him is, is just how um, successful he's been as, as an operator. So, you know, he's sort of seen these businesses from um, uh, a more, you know, sort of from the ground as opposed to just looking at, um, you know, financials and 10Ks and 10Qs. Um, and I think that probably lends him a little bit more strategic insight into turnarounds um, and how to reform and, tr and transform um, the brand, you know, like, and how people think about GameStop as a business. Um, you know, the, the, the Melvin Capital um, think, way of thinking about this is that, okay, it's a, it's a melting ice cube. Um, and, and this guy clearly sees a different, a different narrative altogether, um, as do you. And, and I just think that's, that's a really interesting thing coming from a guy of his background. Yeah, exactly. And I think he saw the same thing. You know, people are very fanatical about their pets. Uh, they don't hesitate right. to, to spend money on their pets. And there's a sim similar aspects of gaming. I mean, there's very few things that, you know, I can put in front of my children uh, that will keep their attention for 10 hours. And, and video yeah. games will be one of those. <laughs> and it's, uh, they have an incredible focus when it comes to that. So I think he, he saw that. He saw a massive market that's growing. Uh, he saw a business that kind of had its hands deep into it and just maybe needed uh, a little bit more vision. And I think something that's incredibly important about Ryan Cohen is, and you know, you've seen Jim Cramer, the latest on TV, is people, when GameStop really first took off the stock price, they were like, oh, it's a bankrupt retailer, bankrupt retailer, therefore it's this big joke. And, and now you're starting to see to me a little bit of change and I'm not arguing the stocks to buy here or not. Um, but you know, even this morning he said, you know, we got to let's, you know what, we got to wait and see what Ryan Cohen's plans. And, and the, the difference with Ryan Cohen is investors will underwrite a business plan from Ryan Cohen, like they wouldn't with George Sherman, the, the current CEO. Uh, and so I think people will give him the benefit of the doubt. And, and potentially, you know, it's, it's, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy, right? Oh, Ryan Cohen believes in it, therefore it's going to work. Um, and that in itself can, you know, help the company and, and further help the stock so it can kind of feed off each other. Uh, absolutely. I mean, I, I think to the extent people buy into his plans, you know, the share price will reflect that and that should give them even more runway to um, recapitalize the business. Um, and and really plan for the long term, um, which is which is great. Um, so from a you know just from a valuation standpoint, um, obviously the stock is no longer at, at three dollars, um, and it's you know I'm looking at it right now. It's it's got you know an eight and a quarter billion dollar market cap. Um, how do you think about this? It, you know, maybe from a, a range standpoint, um, you know what 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 would you expect? Um, to happen from a, you know, a, a top line standpoint over the next five years. Um, I think, I, was there 2020 sales around a billion dollars? What's their sort so of... The, um, I, I think the, the consensus is about five and a half billion. Their, their fiscal year is a little off, but we'll, we'll just say calendar 20 and 21, uh, about five and a half billion and then 5.6 billion um, next year in sales. So right now, for fair disclosure, I'm 
currently long some stock, but but fully hedged on it. Um, sure. I had sold a lot, most of my GameStop on the way up. Uh, however, part, partly because I just I felt that the stock would pull back and, and needed to find a level and, and where where things were just calmed down. But so I think thinking about valuation here is it, pretty interesting. So company's got an eight billion dollar market cap, slightly over that. I think they can do about seven billion in sales uh, in in cal- fiscal um, really twenty two. It's kind of calendar twenty one ends next January. Mm-hmm. So a little over one time sales. Uh, when we look across, you know, technology companies or even outside of technology, S and P five hundred, that that's not expensive. Um, now, can they? They've got to prove that they got a sustainable business, but. If they can prove they've got a sustainable business with any sort of growth, uh, the stock, the, the valuation is, is not all that demanding here. And I think with, with some of the new opportunities, I think will become more appreciated with the stock will be some of the more kind of, to me, user generated business opportunities that they're able to articulate to Wall Street over the coming months I think the company is likely to launch a targeted advertising platform for publishers and, and the console makers to really go after the hardcore uh, gamer in, in a more direct fashion. There's really not nothing like that. Uh, and they know everything about these consumers the last decade, what games they bought, what their age group is, demographic, all those different kinds of things that are valuable to electronic arts. And I think what the, the bears kind of missed in, in an opportunity like this is that yes things have gone digital but the customer acquisition cost for a gamer has has not gone down and these uh um big games whether it's grand theft auto they'll be 300 million dollars of marketing spent on one game and it's just a little bit haphazard so if you can go direct to that consumer there's incredible value there because getting these consumers on your game it is different than in the past because of the residual value. The, in, the in-game purchases uh, can have a very long tail to them and be very valuable to these publishers. So is there, is there an opportunity for GameStop to go after that $35 billion marketing opportunity? I, I, think, I think there is. And if they get 10% of that, that's a very different business proposition than people thinking about. Yeah, I mean, what you're describing almost sounds like um, a Facebook within gaming of sorts. Um, That's right. That's absolutely right. And I think they'll be able to articulate on that potentially um, in the month in the months ahead. So that's that's just one thing that they have an opportunity to go after. And so when you start adding up the shots on goal, you see why someone like a Ryan Cohen acquired, I think, but I think he's about up to 17%, I want to say, of the stock because he sees the shots on goal and the opportunity to go after that quite quickly. And I'll tell you that what the stock's doing, what it's done, you know, a lot more people know about GameStop today than, than they did two months ago, three months ago. And the amount of free advertising they've gotten, I, I don't even know what that would cost them, billions of dollars. So, right, <laughs> right. So I was going to mention that the, 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 the earned media that they've uh, gotten for free is, uh, it's, it's really incredible. And, and actually I think what's awesome for them is that because they have a, a reputation of, you know, and, and this is obviously something they're trying to change is being, you know, a, a physical retailer. 
there are a lot of folks who are rooting for them with this backdrop of, of COVID uh, and forced shutdowns where, you know, I think, I think people, um, consumers uh, and, and even investors alike are rooting for, you know, that, 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 that brick and mortar business to kind of come back, um, you know, especially with vaccines rolling out and, and all this stuff. So I think all that bodes well for them. And it ultimately, I think in the long run, it'll come down to execution and, and, and some of the stuff we've talked about, um, you know, and, and the growth plans and all that. But there's no question that all this, you know, all the people talking about it is going to help them, even if men, many of them or most of them don't know what they're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Um, well, well, listen, Scott, I, I don't know if there's anything else you want to add. Yeah, I, I would, I would just say, I think, um, you know, for people looking at the stock now, I think, you know, obviously it's kind of taken on a life of its own, but I would, I would suggest, you know, potentially keeping their eye on what, what Ryan Cohen and the company have to say. Uh, I think they're going to be reporting earnings mid-March. Uh, we'll have a better opportunity on some of these, these new shots on goal. And I think from there, people can kind of start to look like, look at, you know, underwriting a different type of investment. Right. And, and actually, I, I forgot to mention, but, um, you know, obviously there's been a lot of regulation talk about, you know, social media vis-a-vis GameStop and other meme stocks. Um, you probably saw some of the, some of the testimony in the house. Is, is any of that relevant to your thesis on, on the business itself? No, I, I think a, a lot of that stuff was, it was it was in the news. There was, uh, you know, you had hedge funds failing or on the verge of failing, and and I think people um, wanted answers to kind of how this could happen. Um, and at the end of the day, this you know short squeeze has ha- they happen all the time, uh, yearly, every decade. They've happened for 150 years, and I think that's why that story has kind of gone away. I think you know talking about you know, maybe the size of the short position in the stock and how many of the options contributed. Those are kind of some other things, but uh, some other dynamics, structural dynamics, but um, that, that would be my only comment there. You, you don't expect any sort of regulations um, that would curtail shorting itself? No, I, I don't think so. I, I, I don't think so. Yeah. I mean, that was some of the more extreme commentary. I mean, like, again, I'm just, I'm watching the same art news and, you know, uh, the, the same media that, that I think everyone else is. Um, and, and that was some of the, the more, uh, you know, I think draconian reaction to this whole episode was, oh, we, we should ban shorting, um, which, I mean, I, I think that's um, extremely unlikely to happen. But it, it, it's funny when something like this happens, you, you do get um, headlines that are pretty provocative. And that was something that, that I saw. Um, the stuff around, I mean, I guess there were also talks around settlement periods and pay for order flow. I, I suspect none of that really has any real impact on GameStop. Um, would you agree? Yeah, yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, those are you know, people just need to remember, you know, nothing's actually free. <laughs> right, 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 right. These business, these are for-profit businesses, uh, and so they're they're making money off you somehow. Uh, but yeah, I, I think I think shorts provide a, a good regulator uh, on the market. I, I think they provide you know liquidity. 
they I think they keep people honest. Uh, I think I think there's a great place for it, but it 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 can be dangerous at times because if you buy a ten dollar stock, you can only lose ten dollars. If you short a ten dollar stock, you can lose five hundred. <laughs> so, right, right, right. People, I mean, people, I, I think it's funny you mentioned that, and I think to a lot of people um, who who maybe have never shorted it, that may be news. <laughs> um, but it's it's interesting that some of these hedge funds uh, were, were so aggressively short this name, um, you know, and experienced some of that that volatility head on. Um, well, Scott, listen, this is great. I I, I think um, you framed this well. I, I hope that you know people think of GameStop more as a business and less as a, just purely a trading vehicle, um, which for for good or bad is sort of how it's. Um, been treated over the last month or so, but but I, I think it's enlightening to kind of hear what their actual business plans are and 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 what they, you know, how they plan on competing in this market and and transitioning out of just being, um, you know, traditional old school brick and mortar retailer. Um, so thanks again, uh, and uh, you know, hopefully we can we can chat again sometime as you know, maybe maybe over the next short squeeze. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for having me. That is all we have for you today. Thanks for listening. You can read Scott's original research on GameStop on SumZero or learn about Maven Group's active strategy on our CapIntro platform. If you'd like a direct introduction to Scott, please reach out to the SumZero team. Otherwise, happy hunting and we'll see you next time.